Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2904, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. Hello and welcome to From the Runway Up. We are so glad that you've joined us today to listen to our newest podcast. This month, we are continuing our discussions about organizations and businesses in our community that use the airport to do business. Yeah, and hopefully you have listened to our previous podcasts. If not, you better do so. But we've spoken with Zoo Knoxville. That one was a really cool episode. We actually had a talking parrot on here. Einstein, very nice. Um, And then we also spoke with Children's Hospital. And today we're really excited to be actually located in a micro factory here at Local Motors in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're really excited to learn more about this tech company who is doing really big things in the 3D printing world. And it's all happening right here in our backyard. Okay, Max. So thanks so much for being on our podcast. Will you start with just kind of introducing yourself and giving your background? Sure. I'm Dr. Max Harris. I graduated from UT last year. My degree is in chemical engineering, but I'm really a polymer physicist. At Local Motors, I am the lead vehicle dynamics engineer, so I'm responsible for a lot of the structure, a lot of the suspension steering, and um, putting the vehicle together. Well, and you also have mentioned that you love working on vehicles. Is that how you led to being a part of this Local Motors initiative? Because you get to work with cars in a different kind of way. Correct. So both being on the front lines of science as well as manufacturing vehicles uh, is a dream job for me uh, here at this company. So my role stretches from everything from doing a computer-aided design drawing to a simulation to actually assembling vehicles and welding down on the floor. So it is a dream come true to work here. Oh, well, good. And how did you end up here? I uh, made a lot of personal contacts uh, prior to getting the job here, as well as applying and um, familiarizing myself with the technology and uh, the direction that this company was headed. So tell us about Local Motors. I know a lot of people who live in our area are familiar with it. We've heard it. We just don't know what they actually do out here. So if you can explain a little bit about its mission and its core directives and kind of where you see it going. So Local Motors is a part of the company. We're the first direct digital manufacturer of vehicles uh, in the world. So what that means is we use direct digital manufacturing, that is computer design, going to additive and subtractive manufacturing, and using those tools in order to mass-produce vehicles. The designs that we produce are chosen through our online platform, LaunchForth. It's a free sign-up. We have about 200,000 members online, and we launch design contests, and the winning design gets chosen, rewarded, and then built by the production team into a prototype. And then Local Motors builds these vehicles in what we call local microfactories. And so these microfactories are decentralized throughout the U.S. And the um, purpose of a microfactory is to solve the local mobility needs for that area. And we're in a microfactory right we're, now. Currently, we are in a microfactory, our Knoxville yeah. microfactory. 
It's very pretty too. And just seeing all the different cars that have been a part of these competitions. So that just intrigues me. How do you determine what the criteria are and how do you evaluate some of the submissions for people who enter these things? So the first we identify a need for a vehicle. We don't just blindly build vehicles. We solve a mobility problem. So the, the current vehicle that we're working on is Ollie. Um, Ollie was designed as part of the Berlin Mobility Challenge um, a couple of years back. And it was the chosen design to solve the mobility needs within an inner crowded city that has a lot of people, a lot of need for transport, but that transport is not very personalized. And so Ollie kind of solves this need. And it was chosen by both our leadership, our designers, as well as our community. So how many submissions were you choosing from? That depends on the uh, on the design contest. I don't know the exact numbers of how many people submit per, per contest, but I think it gets narrowed down to a selection of about 20 by the community. And after that, it gets kicked over to our project managers who then do the final sub- selection. So tell us a little bit more about Ollie. So Ollie was developed to help with the last mile. You referenced that earlier when we were going on a tour of this facility. And you give tours, too, if people are interested in coming through the facility. Correct. Feel free to sign up on our website to schedule a tour. So tell us about Ollie and, and how it can be utilized, how it solves the problem that it was developed to. So Ollie is designed to solve the, the first and last mile um, mobility challenge. Ollie is a very personalizable vehicle. So uh, personal transport, Ollie can be summoned by phone or Ollie can transport through a certain route, kind of like a small scale bus. Ollie is a self-driving, so autonomous, all electric shuttle that is 3D printed. So majority of the frame is 3D printed and it is cognitive. So you can talk to it like Siri or Alexa. So you get into Ollie and you say, Ollie, Take me to the local restaurant. Correct. So the, the idea is that, you know, you, you go on to an Ollie and uh, it helps you choose your entertainment along the way and it helps you choose your goal. So, for example, you could say, hey, Ollie, I'm hungry for Mexican food. And it says, okay, well, you know, there are three Mexican restaurants in the area. This one has a longer wait time. This one has a better margaritas. Which one do you want me to drive you to? Right. And so it takes you there. You don't drive. You sit back. You can be on your phone legally, and you're not doing it while you're driving. Correct. So uh, ever since you know the come up of smartphones, I'm sure people were distracted driving before then, but ever since the coming up of smartphones and the popularity of them, uh, people are more and more distracted while driving, and it's uh, A, unsafe, but B, it shows that people don't want to be driving. People don't want to be in traffic. People don't want to be paying attention to the road. People want to be entertained elsewhere. And so Ollie can both solve that problem by transporting you where you want to go autonomously, so you don't have to pay attention to traffic, but it can also provide a completely different transportation environment and experience. So think of an Ollie while watching movie or getting the local news or any sort of other entertainment. Or listening to our podcast. Yes, Listen, definitely. Listening to the podcast, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, those kinds of things. And then by the time you're done, you're there. You're there. You're where you want to go. So uh, it can be both for, you know, for an office situation. You can be productive on your computer or your phone. It can be entertainment. You know, if we think of a long distance flight nowadays, this is an airport podcast. Right. You know, you look forward to the entertainment on in-flight entertainment and Ollie can provide similar things. Maybe you can look forward to the in-transport, in-traffic entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) And so you mentioned the timeline. Ollie will be manufactured here soon, right? Correct. So we're currently working on pushing Ollie from a prototype to a production model. 
and uh, we're getting really close. The production date is July 1st, in which case we're going to uh, turn on the production line here in Knoxville. And so we're going to produce the first digitally manufactured vehicle out of Knoxville, out of this facility. So if you come visit the facility after July 1st, you're going to see a whole bunch of Ollies being sitting manufactured. in the showroom being yeah. manufactured. Yeah, to see how it looks different from what it does now. With and just we're, we're not manufacturing somewhere back in the back room. We're our main manufacturing product line, we, we took a tour over it earlier, it's behind a big sheet of glass windows. So you walk into the showroom, you can see full-scale production going all the way from printer to fully available you know, finished product. Well, and I noticed that there were chairs in front of the windows too. That encourages people to come in and check it out. And that is exactly why they're there. Very cool. um, you know, the idea of, of an Ollie or not even an Ollie, just direct digital manufacturing, it has the advantage that you can you can customize your vehicle as you built it for each available customer. So if somebody says, Hey, I want two cup holders instead of three, I want a screen here. I you know, I don't like other people, so I want <laughs> one big launch chair in the middle of it and yeah. a big flat screen on the side. We can do that. We can do that too. Well, you keep mentioning digital manufacturing, direct digital manufacturing. What is the benefit of that compared to the current way cars are manufactured? So the current way cars are manufactured is is very, very efficient for manufacturing large uh, numbers of vehicles. New cars are produced per model every three, five seconds on average worldwide when a new car rolls off the assembly line. Those are crazy numbers. But there's not very high customizability in those numbers because of the manufacturing process. It's very costly. It's very time-consuming to change the design. With 3D printing, we start off with an idea that then is transformed into a digital model. Once we have a digital model, that model can be edited the same way as a Word document or whatever you want on a computer. You know, think of erasing a couple words, typing something else, and you're hitting print on a normal printer. You come out with a different page of text, we can do the same thing with our vehicles, right? So we can go into the CAD, we can change surfaces around, we can add features, subtract features, change and customize to the individual that wants to purchase it, and then hit print on a large scale printer, and then the vehicle rolls off the line, a different vehicle. Well, and in a traditional manufacturing setting, it takes the molds and the stamping process to make that happen, which takes, as you explained, sometimes even three or four months to develop the mold to be able to do that. So changing the design or an extra cup holder actually takes a lot more time in that environment versus what you all can do very quickly with a click of a mouse. Correctly. So to to change a traditionally manufactured design, takes hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of time to recreate the tooling necessary to stamp aluminum parts, hoods, fenders, such things. Whereas with us, we change the file, we hit print, and we print a different vehicle. So in theory, every vehicle that rolls off the production line can be a different vehicle. That's amazing. And so we've talked a little bit about Ollie. Let's uh, backtrack just a little bit and talk about the very first vehicle that you all ever 3D printed. And when was that? Um, the first vehicle we ever 3D printed was the Strati. The Strati was designed by a gentleman in Italy. Strati actually means layers. So that goes Makes along with Makes sense. When the... you see something 3D printed, there are lots of layers. <laughs> Correct. So, so that's where that name Strati comes from. But the first vehicle was the Strati. First Strati ever was produced at a trade show called IMTS in 2014. So we hauled our uh, big printer and uh, mill up to the trade show. And to demonstrate both the customizability and the rapid prototyping ability of this digital manufacturing, we hit print on the starter. And within a 44-hour time period from us hitting print on the, the print button to our CEO driving around the show. 
It's amazing. And you explained that with that initial vehicle there, it was like driving a golf cart around. It, it has a very limited capacity for speed and, and mobility. It's not something ready for the road. But you also have a display here that has been in a movie and has been off-road going up sides of mountains. So that just shows how much it's changed in such a short period of time to be able to develop this type of stuff in your in your facility. So tell us a little bit about the one that made it to the movies. Okay, so <laughs> the, the vehicle that you're referring to is the Rally Fighter. So the Rally Fighter was actually produced in 2008. Oh, okay. Um, it was, we manufactured that one uh, before we got into 3D printing. Okay. So that one was the first co-created vehicle ever developed. So we put out a design contest on our on our online platform, LaunchForth, and the Rally Fighter was the final chosen design, so uh, we built that. And that is a vehicle that has made it to several movies because of its ridiculousness, honestly. <laughs> yeah, because but, it's so customizable and, and, and how you've put it together. And it's just visually very beautiful and has a lot of, off, obviously, things that are unique to it specifically. It is a very capable vehicle. So it is a vehicle that's built to go 120 miles an hour through dunes and do 50-foot jumps all day long. Oh, um, that sounds awful. It sounds <laughs> exciting. So, so what it sounds like. <laughs> it, it is a very, very fast vehicle to drive. I've yeah. uh, driven it, and it's it's quite scary, honestly, if you don't know what you're doing. But yeah, it's yeah. it's powerful. So the vehicle actually made it to uh, several movies. There was one featured in the Fast and Furious movie. The one that we have in the lobby is actually the actual vehicle from a recent Transformers movie. It still has a, a 3D printed antenna prop left over <laughs> yeah. uh, on its rear fender there. Uh, and if you come to the tour the micro factory you can come see this vehicle it's in our showroom well and you'll be able to miss it it's no it's, cool. it's very pretty you yeah. walk in and go that is the one that i heard about on this podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a lot about cars i noticed that in 2016 you all um, co-collaborated with airbus can you talk a little bit about that Correct. So we work a lot with partners and uh, partnerships. A lot of that relates back to your original question of how do you choose the design, right? So we launch a design contest, but what are the premises? Why do we want this? So the drone challenge that we did is actually a fantastic example for that. Airbus approached us and they said, we want to have an air vehicle and we wanted to have certain criteria. We wanted to have a certain payload. We wanted to have a certain dimension. We wanted to have, fly a certain range, a certain distance, have certain capabilities. And so then we are able to launch a design contest on our platform. And there were several designs submitted. And the chosen one actually got produced. And a, a spinoff of that one is very successful currently. The premise behind the drone, it was an unmanned aerial vehicle. Airbus wanted to develop a vehicle that is capable of delivering aid and medical supplies to remote regions. Uh, for example, think of an avalanche or think of a mudslide. Last year, there were, there were big mudslides in Italy to a point where it cut off supplies to remote villages uh, in the mountains. And these right. people were without, left without supplies for several days until they were able to get dug out. An aerial vehicle such as this would be able to fly in supplies and would be able to fly in help and medical aid to these disaster areas. So it's a very important vehicle that we built. I think that's what's so cool is these challenges. They're not just for fun. You know, they're actually to meet a need. They're, they're not just for fun. That is the, the exact purpose of local motors and the micro factories. The designs that we built are targeted to solve a local mobility need. Hence local motors. Correct. Yes. Well, and it's transportation at heart. And mm -hmm. so you just proved with our examples so far in this episode of our podcast that 
you have things that you do for the transportation initiatives and vehicles, but you also do things with flights. So if you don't mind, can you kind of share your experiences with our airport at McGee Tyson and how aviation plays a role in what you do? Yep. So I've traveled all around the globe personally, and I will tell you that McGee Tyson is by far my favorite airport. Well, I'm so glad. Uh, we did I, not even tell him to say that, I promise. <laughs> no, I, I fully mean that. It's it's a, a pleasure arriving. There's never any hiccups. You know, everything goes smoothly and people are very friendly. So I personally like the airport a lot. But I will say that it's really helpful to our business because we have these micro factories, which are spread out all around the U.S. and actually around the globe. We need to be able to travel to these places. And so internally within a company, it is very, very important for us as engineers in the research and development department to travel to other parts and other micro factories. So for example, um, I traveled last year to our headquarter micro factory in Arizona. We have two micro factories there. I traveled there in order to help finish build a, a prototype of the Ollie actually. So I flew out there for a week and then flew back here to continue the design work. So having access to an international market like an airport can provide is critical to making sure that you share your research technologies to all these different sites. It is. And that that's uh, just an internal example. So um, traveling within the company between our different micro factories. Within the U.S., we have a micro factory. Um, one of our main offices in San Francisco. We have one in Colorado. We How have, many micro factories do uh, you have? We have several around the world. Okay. Uh, we have two in Arizona. We have kind of a demonstration facility microfactory in uh, in National Harbor, close to D.C. We have this one in, in Knoxville. So we have several, and then we're uh, soon to open more. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's <laughs> all I can secret. tell you so far. <laughs> um, so so um, internally, it's really important to travel between these. But for business, it's also extremely important because people want to come see. People want to come see the first digitally manufactured vehicle. People want to come see the world's largest composite 3D printer, which we have in-house. So in this, this technology is all very impressive if you see it on a little online clip yeah. on YouTube. But to be able to see a full-scale printer that is able to print nearly, nearly the size of a semi-truck trailer in, in print volume, it's just impressive to see firsthand. In order for us to, to be effective as a business, like partnering with Airbus, like partnering with other digital companies, they have to be able to travel to us and we have to be able to travel to them. So the airport close to this micro factory is actually very, very useful for us to both communicate internally and then externally with our partners, as well as our customers. So the targeted market for Ollie, you know, we launch several Ollies currently as, as part of a fleet challenge. So we launch Ollies in, in several states Florida, for example, is the next fleet challenge, but we have several Ollies deployed currently in, in Akron, Ohio, in Sacramento State, at Michigan University, I think, and several others. So, you know, places around the globe even. We have Ollies deployed in Australia. We have uh, Ollies deployed in Denmark. So we have to get to these places and, uh, of course, these and get your Ollie customers there too. want to come get here. Yeah. <laughs> so do each of those macro sites work on the same types of projects? So are all of your plants and all your locations working on the Ollie right now or do they have individual projects that they work on? At their location. Currently, Ollie is the main project. So getting Ollie to production is our number one task at the moment, but it, that is not necessity right now. That is to meet the, the production deadline of July 1st. We have several other projects going on in the meantime that various micro factories throughout the U.S. are working on. So though 
Ali is a, a big push right the second. It is not the exclusive project that we all work on. I think it's so interesting that the world's largest 3D printer is here in Correct. Knoxville. So why? Why is it here in Knoxville and it's not at your headquarters in Arizona or at one of your other micro factories? We do actually have uh, several other 3D printers that are other micro factories, but this LSAM, this large one, is here in Knoxville. The reason for that is most of our research and development when it comes to the material science is done here in Knoxville. The reason for that is because the, the 3D printing knowledge grew out of ORNL's lab. So Oak Ridge National Laboratory is, of course, a big tech resource and hub that we have right here in Knoxville. ORNL has two main external campuses. One is the Manufacturing Demonstration Facility, MDF, and one is the National Transportation Research Facility, uh, NTRC. And so both of these are literally across the street. Yeah, they're uh, in the industrial park, not a mile from here. (laughs) So when we first started out printing, we we, uh, started out in collaboration with the MDF. And um, we did a joint project together. And several of our uh, first prints were actually printed over there at the facility. But we've since grown um, out of this research hub and adapted this direct digital manufacturing to to bring it to a, a mass production of vehicles, and uh, what better place to do it as the tech hub right across the street, right? That's right. Well, and 3D printing has evolved so quickly so uh, in, in so many ways. Where do you see the next thing? Ollie is, is what you see in the next six months, and you're going to be focused on it, but where do you see the industry starting to move, and, and where, where do we see things for local motors in the future? So those are actually two separate questions in my head. So direct digital manufacturing, I see very much catching on. Direct digital manufacturing has many, many advantages over traditional manufacturing when it comes to rapid iterations, when it comes to rapid prototyping, when it comes to rapid production. And so that is the part that I see catching on. And we already see it spreading to other industries that are incorporating 3D printing and this additive subtractive type of manufacturing to both prototype and to start incorporating into production. Where we see local motors and the company headed, who knows? Yeah. Uh, that really depends on, on the projects that, that are chosen by the LaunchForth community and the partners that we partner with. So Ollie, of course, will be one of the main products that we produce. And I've mentioned direct digital manufacturing has the ability to rapidly iterate on the design. So we have plans to to produce Ollie's in several variations for several different customer bases. But there will be other parallel projects coming down the line that I can't yet tell you about. I can't wait. That's so exciting, though, just kind of not really knowing what, what you'll be working on. And I mean, you never know. Well... Not really, you do not, know. not really knowing about and not being able to tell you about are two separate things. <laughs> good try there, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good. And so now that you're here, how long has Local Motors been in the Knoxville area? I don't know the exact date when we opened. I want to say it's somewhere around 2013-ish, but I don't know that for sure. And you all used to be in Market Square. Correct. Right. Okay. So um, the store in Market Square was mainly to peak interest. Right. Everybody knows everybody in Knoxville knows local motors because well, you know, we're we're really unsure what local motors does, but we do know they had a really cool store in Market Square, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, the store in Market Square was where we had, you know, our main dwelling in Knoxville, right? It was a it was a very strategic space to have that store opening, both to raise awareness of the company and to get everything going in this in this area. And 
uh, ever since we've opened this microfactory here, we've closed down the store in Market Square and moved that store here into the lobby. So you can still get a lot of the same cool stuff from the local Market Square store, but we sell it out of the microfactory. It just doesn't make sense for us to have two two locations in the same city. No, and I would say perched up here on the hill in uh, one of the more popular growing areas of our community, you see local motors when you drive by it every day. So you still have that exposure from the location you've chosen out here too as well. We still have the visibility as well as we still have the open doors that the store did, mm-hmm. right? Um, our showroom is always open. You can always come in. You can always come see the printer. You can always see the vehicles in our showroom. You can always ask us questions. We're very open with our information and you know we love to pique interest in, in this direct digital manufacturing. We realize that it's, uh, you know, it's on the front lines of science and it's very interesting for a lot of people. And so we do have a lot of people that walk in, wander off the street and say, you know, I always drove past this this place and I never really figured out what you know what's going on here now I'd finally stop by and you know I'm blown away by all the things that that your guys are doing so we welcome people walking on off the street if you want an organized tour you can schedule one through our website just google local motors or it's localmotors.com you can schedule a tour through the facility if anything just come walk in just to look at the reception desk yeah, <laughs> the receptionist desk has to be the coolest one in Knoxville. The, the receptionist desk is a uh, is a project that we did with the UK, uh, UT Architecture Department. So we worked with the UT Architecture Department for the design. We worked with local polymer supplier Techmer, which is one of our tech partners. They supplied the polymers, and we supplied the the printer and the material. And it's uh, it's a very interesting structure. It is, yes. Well, it, it's great that this company is so ingrained in our community, not just through its partnerships for a business purpose, but even through education. So if anyone's listening to this podcast who may see themselves and want to get involved in this emerging technology, a tour is great, but... What is the first step that they need to take to try to learn more about this? Do they go out and buy a 3D printer and start playing at home with it? Or do they start signing up for, uh, you know, undergrad or graduate programs to get further into the knowledge of polymers and and 3D printing? I think that really depends on the type of person you are. I just bought a printer and started playing with it. Yeah. You know, not not everybody, uh, I, I was already in a tech world, so I, I was exposed to the technology. I think nowadays there are lots of lots of places that offer either courses on 3D printing and uh, computer-aided design. There's a big push. I see lots of middle school or high school kids that come through that take tours that have worked with 3D printers and actually printed things and designed things on the computer. So we always say kids these days are good with the technology, but they really are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not just being able to operate an iPhone better than I can, but other aspects of the technology too, such as 3D printing. And that's really a big push for the for future improvements in the broad horizon that we have for this technology. As for people wanting to have interest and, and play with 3D printing, 3D printers are, are very readily available. I know there are services currently where you can get your design printed by a, a printing factory, for example. So, you know, if you have a, a part that you want to design, you can design it and then send it off to a company and they will send you the finished part. For example, we don't provide that service, but I know they're out there. Very cool. Okay. So will there be an Ollie in our backyard anytime soon? Well, that depends. <laughs> that well, I guess depends. you can't tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Let's just say we're going to be printing many, many ollies here come July 1st. 
The goal is to uh, produce about one a week for the rest of the remainder of the year to get all the bugs ironed out. And then we're going to produce 500 by the end of 2020. So we're going to be quite busy. Yes. Well, and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We really appreciate learning more about local motors and how you mm-hmm. got involved and encouraging people to come out and tour your facility because today we got a little snippet of that. And it's just amazing at what can be done with this technology. And it's amazing that it's right here in our backyard. It is, yeah. So Max mentioned some really cool stuff. I know that I'm going to go home and try to learn more and grasp my head around this whole 3D printing thing. But if you want to learn more, we are going to post all the photos that we've taken today and then some links to more information on our website. Visit From the Runway Up if you want to dig a little deeper into 3D printing. Yeah, and then next time we're going to go back to aviation and speak with Jim Evans, our Vice President of Air Service Development and Marketing. And he's going to talk to us about how an airport approaches an airline to recruit service, not just a flight, but maybe even a brand new airline coming into your airport, what it takes, and then the type of information that airlines look for to make those business decisions. Because they don't just make them willy-nilly. There no. is some, some business decisions. They do like them. to make decisions based on profitability, mm-hmm. the how the city can connect into their overall system of flights, where an airplane goes, and we'll talk about what impacts new flights in our community might have on us other communities. Yeah, and a lot of new stuff is happening here at Mickey Tyson Airport. We're seeing new flights, new destinations, and so we'll ask him all about that too. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you'll tune in again next time. So that 